0: will be waiting here a long time. Um, The Apostle Paul, as I understand it, is not um, scheduled to appear anytime soon. Um, I expect to see him when the hosts of heaven come with the Lord, and not until then. Um, And yet there is plenty for us here, but we've got to sort of understand the circle that this is instruction given for Timothy in his specific situation. And remember, Timothy is acting sort of as a proxy apostle. He is carrying out Paul's wishes on Paul's authority and so as he does so he actually by extension exercises apostolic authority insofar as he does what Paul tells him to do carries out Paul's instructions and he has a letter authorizing him to do this he can act with the authority of the Apostle Paul which puts Timothy again in a very unique situation that will not be replicated in our midst and yet as we look at these instructions specifically for Timothy Um, it's easy to see how these principles apply generally to church leadership the importance of the roles of pastors and elders and deacons and teachers but I don't want to stop even there because as we study this passage you might think well I'm not planning on becoming an elder or a deacon or a teacher but remember from a few weeks earlier I gave the analogy that because all of the qualifications for elders and deacons are commands elsewhere given to Christians it's more as if the Apostle Paul tells us all to run hard after Jesus in that direction. And all of us are told to be doing these things, to be gentle, to be hospitable, to be patient, not to be drunk. And then Timothy comes along and he identifies the front runners, And amongst those where there's giftedness, you've got your elders, you've got your deacons. And so the, the exhortations to leadership, the exhortations to um, elders and deacons, the qualifications, these are standards for all of us. All of us should be growing in these things. So as we look at this text, we're to find five commands. The Apostle Paul gives to Timothy, which then by extension are applied to church leaders, and then by further extension to all Christians. So there is something for every one of us here. Not just proxy apostles, not just elders and deacons, but the whole body. Um, so as we dive in, we're to look at five commands. Five commands. And commands really litter this section. In these short (coughs) verses, 11 imperative verbs appear. Paul is giving Timothy authoritative instruction. That's why our our title for this morning's message is Encouragement and Instruction for a Young Minister. Encouragement and Instruction for a Young Minister. The other thing that's going to come out is that even though the Apostle Paul is giving Timothy specifically instruction, all of these commands, that he gives Timothy interplay with the body they all affect the body and what we're going to see by the end is that our individual holiness our individual application of these principles will have a body-wide effect Because none of us lives to himself or dies to himself but we are members of one another so let's dive in point number one model maturity model Maturity. We see that in the first two verses. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, and in love, and faith, and purity. And so the command and teach these things refers to the previous section of chapter four. Remember, two weeks ago, the Apostle Paul opened up both barrels on the false teaching of asceticism, this notion that there's a spiritualness, there's a holiness that arrives simply from denying yourself pleasure, from rising above this physical world. A lot of the monastic tradition comes from this. Um, in, In some sects, there's people who flagellate themselves, hurting themselves, and some notion that by inflicting pain or depriving pleasure, they become more godly. And Paul says, that is error, it's heresy, it's the doctrine of demons. But then last week we saw, lest we think that means we should just become hedonists that embrace all pleasure, that there is a discipline for godliness. It's not discipline for the sake of misery. It's not discipline for the sake of seeing who can be the most uncomfortable. It's, it's a discipline for godliness. That there is a place for order, for structure, for focus. And we saw the, the analogy that Paul makes of an athlete training for a prize and we've seen and we see the, the lengths, the rigorous lengths that people will go to for excellence in athletics and sports. And Paul says that's good, there's, there's profit there. But there is so much more value if we could start to focus on growth in our spiritual life with the same type of zeal and vigor because we see the lengths people go to when it matters to them. So that was where he left off last week. This is what Paul wants Timothy to command and to teach to the body. But Paul anticipates there might be a problem. Timothy's kind of a young guy. As best as we can estimate it, he's in his mid-30s. And he's left at a well-established church that has elders and and deacons. Um, This isn't some little church plant. And, And Paul's told Timothy to do some pretty tough stuff. He's to go to various elders, Bible study leaders, and shut them down if they're teaching these myths and genealogies and fables. He's to command and exhort with authority. And and from what we gather of Timothy, he actually might be a little timid. Um, Go to 1 Corinthians 16. We get a little insight into Timothy's character. 1 Corinthians 16, verses 10 to 11, Paul writes, When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you. For he's doing the work of the Lord as I am. So let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace. And he may return to me. For I am expecting him with the brothers. And so we don't fully know why it might be that Paul felt he had to make this exhortation. But there's something about Timothy. Maybe his appearance. Maybe timidity. Um, who knows. That, that Paul feels like he has to proactively defend against people looking down on Timothy. And... and in a church filled with godly older men. It, it's, it's a daunting task to be a younger man. When I, when I sit in the room with the elders, and I'm looking at, at gray-haired, godly, wise men. Biblically, gray hair is a crown of glory, and I'm, I'm excited about mine slowly coming in, so... <laughs> lest, lest you think that that is a slight, it is not. It is the reward of a righteous life, according to the Proverbs. Um, but it's going to be an intimidating thing. And Timothy, Paul anticipates, is going to wrestle with this. And so he tells Timothy, don't let anyone despise you. Don't let anyone look down on you. This is the put-off, right? The put-off and the put-on. So let not your youth be despised. And so what we're dealing here with is is the notion of respect. And our culture respects a big thing. You go to some of the Eastern and Asian cultures and respect is a huge thing. And so... In in earlier days, if people felt disrespected, they might challenge you to a duel, you know. um, And so this notion of respect's a big deal, but what's important and beautiful for us to notice is the manner in which Paul tells Timothy not to allow himself to be despised. He doesn't tell Timothy to go challenge anyone who looks down at him to a fight. He doesn't tell Timothy to go and tell him to stop doing it. But how does he overcome the fact that some people might look down their nose at him? There's youth, because of the bold things he's told to do. He's to overcome that with a godly life. There's there's nothing wrong in wanting respect, wanting people not to look down on you. But it's all about the way you go after it. See, the world goes after it sort of head first, you know, sort of taking people on. What's your problem with me? In the gospel, you overcome evil with good. And Paul tells Timothy to model, then, maturity, to put his godliness on display. The word for model, we get our word type from, it's a stencil, it's something to outline your life on. And, And there is a danger in religious leading figures wanting people to imitate them. We get these sort of personality cults, but at the same time the Apostle Paul has no problem saying imitate me as I imitate Jesus Christ. Timothy as a leader in the church needs to have an exemplary life that people can model their own life after, he needs to be an example. And again, it's easy to see how this isn't just for Timothy and isn't just for church leaders, but shouldn't all Christians model this? Because you're going to model something to your kids. There's no way around that fact. I'm modeling things for my son. The question is, what am I modeling? We're all modeling things for the unbelieving world. The question is, what are we modeling? And so Paul wants Timothy to model maturity, set an example, in five categories. The first two deal with the outer life, outer conduct. They're an example in word and deed. So Paul wants Timothy to be an example in his speech. This is his day-to-day speech. This isn't his teaching ministry. We'll, We'll come to that in a few minutes. But Timothy needs to be an example in the way he speaks. And the Bible makes a huge emphasis on speech. Jesus warning us that there's not one little careless word it won't be taken into account and not just speech but conduct the way he lives his life and so this is sort of the outward picture but not just outwardly because that's a little easier it's the second half is harder it's the inward life being an example of faith and love and purity faithfulness holding firmly to revealed truth love the overwhelming christian virtue and purity, which I think here has more the notion of, in, of sincerity, um, non-hypocrisy. That, that this this is a man who says what he means, and, and he's there's no guile in him. Um, and, and he needs to model this. This is the way he will attain respect. Now, the challenge of this is that if you want respect, if you feel that you're looked down on, this is a slow path, because character takes time. It does. Especially if you've had a lapse of character. It takes a while to build back a good reputation to build back character But this is the way we should seek honor and respect There's nothing wrong in not wanting people not to look down their nose at you there, there can be something wrong with going so far on the other side that you want praise and glory But in the middle there's a there's a safe spot that there simply desires a certain amount of respect um, There's nothing wrong with again the question. How do we go about this? But there's, there's another factor at work here as well. Tur- turn your Bibles to Ezra, chapter 7. That specifically, while this is true for all Christians, specifically for those in leadership, and we've already seen this, like you know this, but it's good to hear it again. A godly life is a prerequisite to godly teaching. godly life is a prerequisite to godly teaching. God's ministers, first and foremost, must be godly men. And so there can be no um, good teaching, ministry, where there is no integrity in the personal life. And in Ezra 7:10, in Ezra, if you remember, he is the priest who's going to teach God's people as they return from Babylon. And I'll never forget this verse. Um, a, a Scottish pastor, Eric Alexander, old wizened man. He's preaching at MacArthur's church at his shepherds' conference. And he's got a thick Scottish brogue. And he, his whole message was on this one verse. And it, and it reads, Ezra 7.10, for Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord, and to do it, and to teach statutes and rules in Israel. And he pointed out the importance of the order, to study, and before teaching, to do. And I remember him leaning over the pulpit and saying, You know, the ad man on the television tells you that such and such a soda tastes so good. But what you really want to know is when he gets home, does he drink his own soda? (laughs) And then he looks out at 4,000 pastors and men in seminary and says, And what your people want to know, pastor, is what you preach in the pulpit when you get home. Do you drink your own soda? and it's convicting it's convicting because you first got to live it before you can teach it you can't pass on what you don't have can't pass on what you don't have and there's gonna be a big emphasis of teaching in this passage it started with command teach these things and then immediately model these things And, and we gotta grasp that we've gotta grasp that point number two serve the local church serve the local church. And here, Paul tells Timothy the things he wants him engaged in. So if our first point is who he needs to be, here is what Timothy needs to do. And so in verse 13, he tells Timothy, until I come, devote yourself to public teaching of Scripture, to exhortation, the teaching. So reading, exhortation, teaching. Now we know this is public ministry, (laughs) because the article the is in front of them. So it's the reading, the exhortation, the teaching. And we know from our earliest records of Christianity, this is what the worship services were centered around. Justin Martyr, writing in the middle of the second century, described an average Christian worship service this way. He writes, On the day called Sunday, all who live in the cities or in the country gather together to one place. In the memoirs the apostles or the writings of the prophets are read as long as time permits then when the reader has ceased the president verbally instructs and exhorts to the imitation of these good things then we all rise together and pray and as before said when our prayer is ended bread and wine and water abroad the president in like manner offers prayers and thanksgivings according to his ability and the people assent saying amen so what did the early church devote themselves to They get together There'd be a public reading of scripture for as long as time permitted. And then there would be teaching and exhortation that follows this. Um, And this pattern isn't simply a New Testament pattern. Let's pick up Ezra one more time. Go back to Nehemiah now. And we're going to watch Ezra put into practice what he set his heart to do back in Ezra (coughs) 7.10. And and the reason I want to point this out is because this is one of the things I love about this church that I think we get right. There is a strong emphasis in this church on God's word being read, being taught, being explained. And and I think that's biblical. I think that's right. Every now and then, we'll have a visitor here. And I've heard comments before. That was a long message. Um, And then after a long message, there's... There's ABFs where you do some more, you know? And then if that's not bad enough, you go to a small group on Sunday night. I mean, man. I think we got it right. Nehemiah 8, verse 1 through 4. Um, and all the people gathered as one man in the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly both men and women and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month and he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law and Ezra the scribe stood on a platform a wooden platform they had made for the purpose so here's our first pulpit in the Bible um, Ezra's got this wooden platform that he's standing on. Now, jump down to the middle of verse 7, because it's a big, long list of people who are with him. Um, and these priests, these Levites, verse 7, middle of it, helped the people understand the law while the people remained in their place. They read from the book, from the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. So if you think our worship service is long, I want you to imagine the length of time it takes to read the books of Moses. It's possible it's just the book of Deuteronomy. So that'd be a good hour and a half or so. Maybe two hours. Just reading. In the hot sun, everyone attentive. Then came the explanation. So there's something I think that we've got right here that I think is excellent, that I'm proud to continue in this tradition. Turning back now to First Timothy chapter 4. These are the very things that Paul tells Timothy to devote himself to until he arrives. The assumption of why until Paul arrives? Well, this is what Paul's probably going to take over doing. And so it's three things. The public reading of Scripture. You know, it's, it's great truth that God's Word always creates God's people. God's Word always creates God's people. Twice in the New Testament, we're told, in James and in First Peter, that we are begotten by the living and abiding Word of God. I mean, you factor that in with John 3, and you're born again by the Holy Spirit. And the picture we get is this. The Holy Spirit creates spiritual life in the hearts of men as he applies the Word of God to the hearts of men. The Word of God creates the people of God. The word of God contains the message of salvation, which men hear and respond in faith. And so, of course, there's great importance in the public reading of Scripture. And secondly, the public exhortation because some of the things written in the scripture are not easy to understand and we all have the holy spirit we, we don't need a, a priest or a pope to tell us what things mean but it, it's helpful when more mature people help us learn it's kind of like you know pre-digesting food or serving up food as a chef to some degree that's sort of how i view what i do i sort of take biblical steak and try to serve it up in a in a way that's edible um, about it being well done sometimes or overcooked if you like but but um, but that's 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 what I try to do Um, and, and that's why I've said before you shouldn't care what I think I'm not an authority you should care what the Bible says my goal is to show you what the Bible says so that you see the Bible says that please don't ever take my word on anything I'm just a man I can err. God's word is what we should put our trust in and it's our goal to understand God's word and this emphasis on preaching is, is, again, emphatic in the New Testament. In 2 Timothy 4, 1-2, you don't need to turn there, but listen to this apostolic charge that Paul gives Timothy. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing and His kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. Could you possibly make this more authoritative? In the the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. And that is emphatic. You get this emphasis of the word of God being read, the word of God being explained, and then thirdly, the word of God being taught, explaining it and applying it, exhorting it. It's it's a package deal. And this is Timothy's ministry. This is Timothy's gifts. So what do we get out of this for ourselves? Well, not all of us are gifted this way. Not all of us are gifted to to explain and preach the scripture. But whereas Paul is telling Timothy, you need to, to serve the church with your gifts, we can get from this that all of us likewise need to serve the church with our gifts, whatever they may be. The importance that we be godly people, that we image the Lord that we claim to love, and then that we use our gifts as he's given them to us um, to serve the church, which brings us now to our third point, to embrace your giftedness. Again, Timothy may be a little timid, nervous about this lofty task that the Apostle Paul has given him, I mean, imagine preaching when the elders of your church are sitting there, and some of them don't even like you, and they might be looking down their nose at you, and he wants Timothy to teach, and authority, and command. And so Paul reminds him of his gifts. He reminds Timothy, you're not doing this by yourself. But the living God has equipped you to do the work that he has set before you to do. The living God, he says, embrace your giftedness. In 1 Corinthians 12, 7, um, again, you don't need to turn there. The Apostle writes, to each is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Each and every one of us, if we are in the Lord, if we are saved, if we are born again, has a spiritual gift, but that gift is not for us. You know, we have a gift, but it's a gift that we give. It's not a gift that we receive, it's a gift that we give. And so, your spiritual giftedness, and again, this brings us back to this body dependence. Your spiritual giftedness is not for you, your spiritual giftedness is for us. A manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Timothy was given a gift. It's for the church at Ephesus. It's for the church at Ephesus. Um, and so, there's a danger here self reliance, the danger of self reliance see we can try to go about doing ministry in the flesh in our own strength and it will fail it will fail or you'll burn out you can only go so far in your own strength and so Paul tells Timothy it's important he says do not neglect the gift you have which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you And, and so apparently what happened at some previous time perhaps when Paul left to go to Macedonia perhaps when Timothy and Paul first set out on their missionary journey. We don't know. The elders gathered together, laid their hands on Timothy, and prayed over him. The prophets were prophesying, and at that time, the Lord gifted him for ministry. And so, Paul's reminding Timothy this, this great task that you have, to teach and command with all authority, to explain the scriptures, to devote yourselves to, to the preaching and teaching of God's word. It's not something, Timothy, you need to do in your own strength. In fact, don't you dare do it in your own strength. 1 Peter 4, 10 to 11 writes, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another, remember there's no self-serving gifts, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks, as one who speaks the oracles of God, whoever serves, as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. You see, if I do ministry in my own strength, who gets the glory? I do. I did that. I built that. See, but biblically, you didn't build that. Because the Lord gave the strength. The Lord gave the gifting. And if we do it not in our own strength but relying on Him, He gets the glory. So Paul tells Timothy, don't you dare go about this task in your own strength. The other thing we see from this is the value of confirmed giftedness. The value of confirmed giftedness. You see, it's not just that Timothy thinks he has this gift, but there's a church and a body of elders that confirmed this ministry. The Apostle Paul is referencing this. And again, one of the great things we can do to each other, that we can do in serving one another, is confirm each other's giftedness. This happens when somebody does some ministry and somebody else says, wow, you're really good at that. I was really so encouraged when you talked to me yesterday. You did a fantastic job teaching ABF, Jeff. And and we confirm each other's giftedness. This this can't happen in a vacuum by yourself, just you and the Lord walking off into the sunset. You're not going to use your gifts because they're made for everyone. And so Timothy is taking encouragement. Paul wants Timothy to take encouragement from his, not just his giftedness, but his confirmed giftedness. The body affirming and confirming Timothy's fitness for the ministry that he has. And again, for us then, what this means is the Lord has ministry for you. It may not be be Timothy's ministry. But we should be doing it. We should be using our gifts. We should be embracing our gifts. We should be serving in the power the Lord supplies, devoting ourselves to this. The Lord has not left us on planet Earth simply to have a good career simply to pour ourselves into our hobbies he's left us here to build his church to build his kingdom to advance the Great Commission everything else is secondary everything else is secondary and so if the Lord has gifted you to serve the body then we think of the parable of the man who buried his talent what a waste it is if gifts aren't being used if the body is not being served and so yes Timothy as as a teaching um, leader in the church, his giftedness is specific, and not everyone has that giftedness. But Paul's emphasis to Timothy, to, to, to serve, to use his gifts, and to not do it in his own strength, but to utilize the spiritual gifts that he has that was given to him by God. This is for all of us. Which brings us to point number four. Devote yourself to ministry. And sort of this package is building. You start with the godly life, and then you start with with identifying the ministry, the work you're to do, then you do it in the strength of the Holy Spirit and spiritual gifts, and then you get to devote yourself to ministry in verse 15. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Now, these things um, relate back to most recently, um, verse 13, public reading, public exhortation, public teaching, but probably even this whole section. And Paul wants him to practice or devote himself to them. And I love I love the Greek here. Literally it's exist in them, live in them, be being in them. You know, we talk of people who live, eat and breathe something. And that's what Paul wants Timothy to do here with his ministry and his gifts. He's he's modeling maturity he's identified where he needs to serve in the body and he's relying on the spirits power to do it and now Paul says just give it your all again we're back to the athletic metaphor if you saw any of the promos of the the Olympic athletes the the just strict focused regime they're on preparing for that earthly crown that earthly prize how they didn't let anything distract them how they didn't let anything dissuade them they're just focused in their single-minded intent for the gold And Paul tells Timothy, hey, now that you've got your marching orders, now that you know what God would have you do, now that you know God's gifted you to do it, pour yourself into it. Give yourself to it. Practice makes perfect. He's going to get better at it as he does this ministry, as he grows in godliness. And people are going to see him make visible progress. And that's important as well. And you might ask, why? Why is it important that people see you make visible progress? Well, because of a number of reasons. One, it shows that the Lord is at work in your life. And two, it encourages other people. Three, when other people tell me that they see me growing, it's very encouraging. I don't know about you, but I am very encouraged when someone tells me they see me growing in grace. And because church leaders, again, are held to a high standard, and so the body should be able to see them progress in grace, the point is this, we never arrive. You never get godly enough. You never know the Bible well enough. You're never loving your neighbor enough. Let no debt remain unpaid except the debt of love. We're never paying it off. And so it's important as we do this that others can see. And again, this assumes the body. You can't do this walking off into the sunset with just you and Jesus. No one's going to notice. And so all of this involves the rest of the church, and the community. Point number five then persevere with alertness much is at stake persevere with alertness much is at stake Paul tells Timothy this keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching persist in this for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers so he tells him to keep a close watch there's the alertness and to persist in them there's the perseverance persevere with alertness, much is at stake. So if, if our previous command is this devotion, now what we're looking at is maintaining the long haul with alertness. Because again, people don't plan to make spiritual falls. People don't plan to backslide. It usually catches them by surprise. It's usually due to not really paying attention. It's, it's usually due, according to First Corinthians, take heed, if any of you think he stands, lest he falls, of thinking, I'm safe. I don't need to be on my knees. I don't need to be clinging to the cross. I'm sure I can handle this. That, too much is at stake. Don't you dare presume upon God's grace. Be alert. Persevere. Don't take a day off. And so we see the necessity of balance in life and doctrine. I want you to think of a wheel, spokes, right? And there's different spokes. Let's look at two spokes. There's the godliness of life. Pay attention to your life. And then there's doctrine. Pay attention to your teaching. And both of them are important. We're back to, again, maybe the wings of the plane of which one's more important. This, This last verse really kind of summarizes the whole section because remember, back in verses 11 to 12 was modeling maturity. And then the second half was to teach, to exhort, and to read the scripture, doctrine. And, and so you need both of those. And, and Paul, sort of summarizing this whole passage, reminds Timothy the immense importance of a godly life, the immense importance of sound doctrine. You need to guard these things, you need to be alert, you need to be aware, you need to persevere, you need to be ready to persist for a long time in this. And he gives Timothy a reason. He says, much is at stake. It says, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Now, get into what that means, but can we just acknowledge, that's that's a pretty big reason. This may not sound easy, this type of long, enduring, training, focus, serving, giving ministry. The Lord has called each and every one of us to, again, this isn't just for church leaders, it's for each and every one of us as we're gifted to serve. And so Paul wants Timothy, and he wants us to remember just what's at stake. Now, this word save, and we've talked about this before, can mean a couple of things. It means salvation, but the Bible can talk about our salvation in a past tense. We were saved. When it does that, it's generally talking about justification, the moment of forgiveness when we went from being um, a child of wrath to a child of God, when we went from having the wrath of God abiding on us to being at peace with God. The Bible can also talk about our salvation in the present tense, you know, be working out your salvation with fear and trembling. Or even what we saw at the end of chapter 2, that women will be saved in, and it goes forward. The conditions of which they work out their salvation, that's more of what I think is the option here. We can also speak of our salvation in the future tense, Romans 13, um, the day of our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed, and there it means our glorification being taken up to heaven. Because the gospel of Jesus Christ is all three of those things. The gospel of Jesus Christ, received by faith, brings with it the forgiveness of the penalty of sin, release in this life from the power of sin, and ultimately um, deliverance from the presence of sin when we're taken to glory and purified. The gospel does all three of those things, and so the New Testament can speak of salvation in a past, future, and present tense, referring to different aspects of what the gospel does, how the gospel saves us. So Timothy is not being told that if he perseveres, he will be forgiven and your hearers will be forgiven. Um, That's not what's being said here. It's the growing deliverance, the growing growth in sanctification, which is what he's been talking about this whole time. Let people see your growth. Devote yourselves to these things. Discipline yourself for godliness. So the blanks here, save yourself is personal sanctification. Personal sanctification or growth. As Timothy devotes himself, growing in godliness, to growing and being faithful in his preaching and his teaching. He's going to grow and live out his salvation. He's going to bear fruit of the gospel in his life. And as he does that, also, you're going to save your hearers. That refers again to body growth. Again, I want you to notice this. All these commands are pointed specifically at Timothy and yet, the ramifications for the body are, are paramount. Timothy If he is faithful, will not just grow in his salvation, but he will affect growth through God's grace in the rest of the body. Turn turn to Ephesians 4, because I want you to see that this isn't just true of pastors. This isn't just true of elders and teachers. This is true for everybody. Your own personal growth in grace, your own faithful ministry, relying on the Holy Spirit, using your giftedness, will grow the body and your failure to do so will shrink the body, will harm the body. This isn't just true for leaders. This isn't just true for people who preach and teach. Ephesians chapter 4 verses 11 to 16. The He here is referencing Jesus. And He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers why did Jesus give the church these offices? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Well, let's pause there. So who does the work of the ministry? The saints do. Now, I'm a saint, so I do the work of ministry too, but we all do the work of the ministry. The offices he gave were equipping offices, training offices, so that the whole body can do the work of the ministry. And this is important to get. This is what makes Paul's instruction to Timothy Paul's instruction to us as well we're all ministers we all should be at least so to equip the saints verse 12 for the work of the ministry for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. You know, kind of like those doctrines of demons back at the first part of this chapter. Now look at this. Look at this picture of the church working properly. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each Heart is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love how does the body grow when each joint when each part to use the analogy of 1st Corinthians 12 when each finger when each nose when each ear when each eye is functioning properly speaking the truth in love to itself working properly the result the body builds itself up in love Timothy pay heed to your life and your doctrine when doing so you will you will grow in your salvation and the body will grow in its salvation See, the stakes are high you know the, America has this autonomy sort of default setting which is sort of it's none of your business privacy and there's nothing necessarily wrong with that but we are a body we are interconnected and my spiritual walk affects your spiritual walk and your spiritual walk affects my spiritual walk because we're members of one another so Paul wants all of us, God wants all of us to be these images, these little Jesuses running around. That's what Christian means, little Christ. Because the early church, named that, started to look more and more like their Lord and Master in word and deed. We're going to model, we're going to model something to our friends and to our children and to the watching world. The question is what? And then we're to serve the church using our gifts that the Lord has given us, relying on the Holy Spirit, not in our own strength. And we're to keep doing that year after year as the Lord tarries. You know, Paul told Timothy to wait for his coming. We're waiting for the coming of the Lord. He may come this afternoon, and he may come 10 years from now. Until he comes, we're to persevere and labor, and we're to be diligent and alert because everything's at stake. What's at stake? The bride of Christ being purified and built up. Our own sanctification and growth in each other's. The stakes couldn't be higher. Let's close in a word of prayer. Lord God, we just, just thank you for your word and for the, the instruction it gives us, Lord. We thank you that you've gifted us, those who know you, those who have received you by faith, to serve the body, Lord. I just pray that you would give us that single minded focus, give us that determination to labor in your vineyard, to serve your bride, not in our own strength, but in the strength that you supply through your spirit. Grant us a perseverance, and alertness so that we would function as those fingers and ears and joints properly. So that your body would function properly and so that it would build itself up in love. So that your will would be done on earth. That all men would praise the glory of your name. In Jesus' name, Amen.